Hello, uh, welcome to the AGO. Uh, we welcome you here tonight acknowledging that we're, we are on Mississauga territory, on land that has been home to the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat through time. Uh, my name is Sean O'Neill, I'm the head of public programs, and I'm delighted to invite you to the beginning of what we're calling Peaches Week at the AGO. Um, and for those of you who missed a chance to buy tickets to the sold out first Thursday, I do have a hot tip that we are putting like a hundred more tickets on sale tomorrow morning. So check the Facebook page if you don't have your tickets to that yet. Um, this talk is part of a series called Inspiration is a Monster, Conversations with Legends of the Dark Arts, which we have programmed in conjunction with the show Guillermo del Toro at Home with Monsters. And you can continue uh, to join us in that series in November when we will welcome Diamanda Galas in conversation with Owen Pallett on November 27th and R.L. Stein in conversation with himself on November 29th. <laughs> Um, but tonight is about Peaches, and Peaches will be in conversation with Sokin Lee, a filmmaker, musician, actor, visual artist, dancer, and radio and television broadcaster, former Much Music VJ, and co-producer and host of the personal storytelling program DNTO on CBC Radio 1 up until last year, and now the host of the amazing uh, new show and podcast Sleepover. Um, Sukian also starred in John Cameron Mitchell's groundbreaking film Short Bus, which premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. She won the 2014 Canadian Screen Award for Best Performance by a Leading Dramatic Actress for her role in Jack. She's in the band Juge, whose debut album was, re was released in 2015. And her upcoming movie, Octavio is Dead, uh, is a sensual ghost story starring Rosanna Arquette. Peaches, born in Toronto, is a musician, singer, performance artist, producer, filmmaker, actor, and writer who has released five albums since 2000. I'm excited to say all their titles at the Art Gallery of Ontario. The Teachers of Peaches, Father Fucker, Impeach My Bush, I Feel Cream, and Rub. Her songs have been featured in dozens of films and TV shows, from Mean Girls to Transparent to the theme song to Full Frontal with Samantha Bee, another fierce feminist Canadian. Peaches has performed in more than 50 countries. She created Peaches Christ Superstar, where she performed the entire rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar as a solo one-woman show. She is the author of What Else is in the Teaches of Peaches. She is a queer feminist hero, an avant-pop icon. All of our teenage dreams are coming true. Please welcome Sukian Lee and Peaches. Mom and Dad, those seats are reserved for you right there. Where? Where are your They're parents? Hiding. There they are. They're hiding. Hello, Mr. and Mrs. Nisker. <laughs> Wonderful. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Yay! Here they come. Yeah, because there's two. There's two seats. It they says say reserved. Mom and Dad. They put Mom and Dad for you. It's incredibly supportive, right? Your parents. Yep. Wow! 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 No, 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 sir, with the hat behind, he's like, great, he's tall. We're in Toronto, where the seed of peaches was planted. 
So great to have you right here. There. <laughs> right there. Thank you for thank you for your sperm and zygote meeting and creating this wonderful human being. Yeah. So we have about 45 minutes. We're going to talk with you, Peaches. Um, and then we're going to open the floor up to questions that you may have for her. Um, so, okay, well, uh, I was thinking of maybe going back to very early beginnings of your music making and then sort of following where some of the important dominoes fell to where you are today. Uh, incredible, uh, prolific creator. Um, so first of all, let's talk about Mermaid Cafe. That was one of your first bands. Yeah, it was was my first band. Yeah. How would you describe it? Um, well, I would describe it as a um, relationship gone wrong with my girlfriend, and we both played a lot of acoustic guitar together. And um, <laughs> and one day she was invited. Maybe you know Diane Flax. She, yeah, she was invited by Diane Flax to open a show, and I was like, "Oh well, I write songs too. Like, can I do it with you?" And we played uh, at the Cabana Room, where you know, like bare naked ladies would play once a week, or um, the Sky Diggers played there. And um, very different sound. Very, the, the, yeah, it, be, it was like very folky, and, and it was very folky. And we played, and um, a lot of people came out. We invited a lot of people, so they said, "Oh, you're popular. You want to play here every week?" So then. We ended up playing every week, well, and so be it became a band. But I was like, "Oh, right, music—you can make a band." Like I didn't even get it, you know. I was like, "Oh yeah, we got to write songs." So we wrote songs like every week, and well, it was a, a four-piece, and at the beginning, it was—it's really a three-piece. It was like um, Andy D, me, and um, Joseph Greenbaum, who was, you know, he taught me. Uh, to play guitar, you know, we smoke a lot of pot and play guitar. So after the first show, he came up and he's like, I should be in this band too. I write songs and I taught you to guitar. So it was the three of us. A lot of emphatic folk singing and like strident acoustic guitar playing. And I mention it because even though that was some years ago, uh, it still has reverberations today. In fact, uh, just like in 2016, a couple of local filmmakers, Stephanie Markowitz and Alexis Mitchell, they made a film based upon your 1989 song called Gabby and Mike. We're gonna take a look at a tiny little bit of their movie and then we'll talk about more about this song. Okay, so what is I going mean, on? We, we just need to contextualize what happened to make you know give rise to peaches. So this is an amazing thing. Okay, Gabby and Mike, what is this song about? That that actually was written by Andy D. And it's a song about um, two young boys who were in love with each other and couldn't tell their parents. And one day their parents, or one parent caught them in bed together. And so it's really dramatic because then one of the boys runs and gets on his motorcycle and drives away and maybe gets hit by a truck at the end of the song. 
And every week when we play that song, there'd be like 14, maybe one of them is here. Is this, anybody know Mermaid Cafe? Anybody ever took a band a room? No. Okay. Oh, uh, there's a, a hand, but, I see. Yeah, my mom put up her hand. <laughs> there was, you, someone was there? Because you're the local hit band, and like people would is love that hearing that song. Yeah, but um, then there'd be like 14-year-old girls who would sneak in and cry to that song. It really hit a nerve. 14-year-old Jewish girls. And that's what, actually what this whole movie is about. It's about relationship between... And when we played Jewish summer camps, because that's where we were popular, and... Um, Reed, do you play Say What a lot? I played Say What yeah. to like 14 people <laughs> a lot. But, um, but actually, um, the, some of those girls, those two filmmakers, they were at one of the camps, and they met because they both were singing that song around a campfire, and one of them knew the song, and one of them didn't know who it was or anything or how the song... And then they were thinking about the relationship between Jewish camps and um, friendships and um, lesbian relationships and how it has nothing to do with being Jewish at those camps, but it has to do with, like, still being in a Jewish community, but how do you relate to your feelings of, you know, gay feelings? And it, so it was, it was actually really interesting and, and uh, brought a lot of life to what it was all about. Yeah. yeah, that was like the one the one song people were waiting for you to play at your show. It's like, yeah, Gave me my yeah. It's your hit. Yeah. Um, so Andy D, who wrote the song, uh, she was your first girlfriend. Yeah. And how did that relationship change your she life? She actually was the girlfriend that I had to be kick, kicked out of the house because... Your house? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this... Wait, is this, this, is, this is when, you know, we, we, we're working out stuff. Yeah, yeah, We've yeah, come a long right. way. We can talk but, about you know, this. it was like... What you have a girlfriend, you know? So, I mean, you're you're a boundary pusher. You yeah. you you defy conformity, and that this yeah. is an ear, early in, early incarnation of just not conforming to that which was expected to have a girlfriend. And and mom's here, and that was tough for <laughs> tough on mom in the beginning, right? But we've come a long way. Oh, mom, Mrs. Disker, do you want to say anything <laughs> so that you can defend yourself? She's been on stage with me, uh, you know, uh, doing the f raising. <laughs> I'm in trouble. In our defense, um, she did have several boyfriends before yes. she had the girlfriend, so we thought it, it was kind of strange. Of course. Now, now, were you the person that walked in to the two of them in bed? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had heard it from friends. So you... Um, she, actually <laughs> <laughs> she actually heard it from her friend whose son was gay, which was really fun. He walked that, in? He, no, no, nobody walked in. And that was a story of her, of not even of her, of hers. Oh, okay. okay. But it was from, you know. So she It wasn't even about, it wasn't about us, actually. Okay, I thought you maybe changed the gender, but it was, you know, like, <laughs> it's a story about, it, it's a fictional story about. Yeah, it could have um, been. So how was that to, like, because obviously you're so close to your parents and your family, yeah. to, like, to then have to, like, leave, Well, you know, you have those times where you're not, and there, or you have, you know, but you come through it. It's important. Do you remember the moment? Because you have to become yourself and you have to do your things. You have to, you know, become, you, everybody's gone through degrees of this with family or friends or Was it a, a clear decision? Like, sorry, mom, you don't like it, and then I'm going to leave. Yeah. Do you remember what that was like, Mrs. Nisker? <laughs> of course, I don't remember it the same way. <laughs> but somehow... 
five minutes, and I think we should move on. <laughs> mom, mom, your mom's getting us on track. Yeah, that's good. She's, I told you she's very practical. Very, very. Maybe she wants to come for a sleepover, the 24-hour yeah, podcast. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the early times of which you, uh, like in the early days, you were a teacher um, of... Yeah, well, th this all happened at the same time, too, because mm. I, I taught at the YMCA uh, daycare, and the kids were so bored and the teachers were so exhausted and it was so uninspiring. But I was teaching myself acoustic guitar because um, I was also needed to play acoustic guitar because I had this, you know, shows every, every, um, every week too. So I started to um, play acoustic guitar with the kids and then they would magically respond, you know. And um, I would tell stories and they would, um, act them out in certain ways and I developed a program that way and then um, the head of the YMCA program saw that and she asked me to, if I could teach teachers how to be creative with kids. So you would you would play a song for them, they'd yeah. listen to it and then they'd sort of embody your, your lyrics? Yeah, or? I would do themes, you know, I worked out a whole, pro I would do themes, you know, like planets or animals and then I'd sing songs and they would have specific actions to do and then they would, you know, act them out and then I would say, okay, now I'm going to just play music and you be whichever one you want. And then they'd switch around. You know, little drama games, but they responded to it so well. So and how, how I did, did that for 10 years. Yeah, I imagine you'd be a really fun teacher. They were, they were really, f the kids were really funny because they couldn't, they would always ask me like, are you an adult or a kid? It's kind of confusing. I can, yeah. I can see how they'd be confused yeah. by that. So th those interaction, your interactions with children, how do you think that went on to inform how you interact with the audience when you're peaches? Well, if kids don't like something, they just jump on you and pull your hair and tell you you suck. So I'm actually an audience of older kids is much easier. So, so, so do, do you find that they say, oh, like, like, they'll tell you you suck? No, kids are much more honest Yeah, they're way. more honest about it. But also, it's just like, it, it, it definitely helped me to, like, you know, learn how to keep it going and learn how to keep it interesting. It seems like you have this incoming ability to galvanize a sense of play among people. Like, let's do this. Let's put on the show. You go over there. Pretend you're a plant. <laughs> you know? And I, I'm wondering if very much of that feeling comes from kids, the kid feel. Well, kid I, feels. At me growing up, I didn't have that as much. Like if I was, uh, you know, like after school programs or I would join because I want to be part of a play and it, there would be no play. It'd be like, you're a bat. I remember being cast as a bat. A bat? Yeah, you're going to be a bat. <laughs> and I was like, okay, am I a vampire bat? Or not? No, no, just stand there, you're a bat. You know, or just in like, school. Did you want to be a bat? No, I didn't no. want to be a bat. You know, like I never, or also um, in school, you know, sing this, uh, sing this part and I'd sing it. Okay, no, next. You know, I never got, I wasn't, I wasn't ever like, uh, had good leads or any good parts or anything like that. I was a cinder in Cinderella. Wow, see, yeah. I was like, like an ash. So you're like, what's what's the hey? I'm 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 a superstar. Can you not see this? And they were like, you're a bat. 
So I'm did, you bat, do, cinder. did you do something different when it was your turn to like lead the kids? Yeah, I just wanted to make them feel equal and okay with whatever they picked because I was going to direct the story to make them all uh, be able to express themselves. And it was about a, a, a process, you know, like not, your parents are coming, we have to dress you up, you have to look like this and get on stage. And it wasn't about pressure. It was about, you know, learning and expressing. Were they allowed to sort of choose what they were going to they be? They always had to choose, yeah. So even if we did Peter Pan and, you know, every everybody wanted to be Captain Hook and one boy wanted to be Wendy, we'd do, we'd do Peter Pan that way, you know? It's fantastic. Yeah, you so have like 10 Captain Hooks. 10 Captain Hooks. That'd be an incredible variation yeah. of the story. Yeah. <laughs> We've known each other for a long time. I Very remember being time. there in the early days. Um, at that cafe, you know that really skinny cafe down on uh, Adelaide around there? Like it was like full of like um, toys and stuff and you'd be there and uh, like... Oh boy. Yeah, oh, oh boy. boy. Oh boy. Oh boy no longer exists. It's this no. large tower now. Yeah. But it was a super cool little diner. Yeah. And I just have an image of you hanging over the like the, the booths talking and like being super excited. I remember when you, you told me about your first Roland beatbox. You're like, yeah. what? I, there's this thing that I found. Well, I, you all know Sue Kinley had an amazing band called Bob's Your Uncle, where she used to sing. You probably don't remember that. She That's used a to long sing along with vibrators. She'd had vibrators in the microphone, and she'd sing along. You also had like a was it like a really long tube? I don't know what kind. Oh yeah, of tube PVC it was. tubing. PVC tubing, like super. I did not know you saw the band. That's what do you mean, super inspirational? Wow. Like, yeah. Fantastic. Very, so performative, incredible voice creative ideas, like, you, you, you know, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> the beatbox, you were like, holy smokes, this beatbox is amazing. Well, How uh, did you find that thing? That was like... You know what, it was really, okay, well, other bands I had, um, I, always, it's, I always thought keyboards were not rock and roll, you know? Keyboards are not rock and roll. They're not at the heart of rock and roll. ACDC does not have keyboards, you know? So I remember when I um, would jam with uh, my friend Maki and Gonzalez and Sticky, um, we would switch instruments and they're like, okay, here's a move, like play that. And I would be like, wow, okay. And then it was so much fun. I'm like, keyboards are amazing, I love them, you know? And then, um, then I'd play drums, I'd be like, wow, drums. You know, I didn't play any of these instruments. You just and we just like play, like pass around the instrument, and then um, everybody kind of moved away or did other things. So I went into um, Steve's music shop, and I was like, "What is this thing? You can play drums on it." You, it's just like before, you know, um, everybody has a computer with its own, you know, programs and all that. So I was just like, "It's amazing! I can." record everything on this. I can be the bass player, I can be the keyboard player, I can be the drummer. I'm gonna get this, you know? Because I just wanted to continue having, being a band, yeah. So, so it wasn't really like, um, I wasn't trying to be electro. I wasn't trying to be, I was just like, I just wanna make music. And also I thought it'd be better to have one machine that I could do all the mixing in it itself so it'd be in the same world so that I could produce it myself. I always remember it was like you were ex 
very excited about having found this new tool yeah. that you were able to make all this amazing That's crazy that we had that conversation. Yeah, it really is. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I should. Because you were just lit, lit up from, yeah. from this piece of technology that enabled you to make the music that you wanted to. And, yeah. it may, and it's interesting, too, watching the early stuff, because you were like a guitar player. So it's like you went yeah. and transposed all that musicality into this sort of... Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of, of the early songs were written on uh, like with drum beats and guitar, and then I transferred them over. Yeah, um, I have a couple of memories of you in the early times, um, and I remember walking around and running into you in Kensington Market, and it was a really hot, sweltering night, and you, you said you said to me something like, "Oh." I, I, you're like, oh, I, I just feel so fucking horny. <laughs> I, I, you're really agitated. And you're like, yeah, I feel, I remember I this feel so horny. And I was like, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit more, I was like, wow, she's really bold with her expression, so honest and, and you know, in, it, connected with her body and her desires, sexuality, and I'm so curious, like that, that, that is such a huge part of, you know, your expression. And, and what is it about the power, power of sexual desire of lust that you embrace in your work? What is it about those, that state that you're like, um, bring it into your, your work? I mean, things change a lot. I'm now menopausal, so <laughs> things have changed a lot. Early menopause, so maybe it was just because you know they're like, ha <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe it was biological, just yeah. like uh, yeah, a I drive. think it, I think it was. It just felt like, like it was like whoa, electric, electric. Yeah, it just felt like that. I mean, that's how Peach's music started, and everything it was just like woo, you know. But um, and then I think um, over time, it's you know the first album I always call like Teaches of Peaches is more like the masturbation album and. Fatherfuckers more the, you know, um, questioning the roles and the genders, and impeach my bush is like a kind of call to um, attention, like more of a community, mm -hmm. and then uh, and then the other ones we don't really have, but the first three I I have a clear the vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, the next one. Yeah, vulnerability exactly, and, and then, then and this one is return to classic. Yeah. <laughs> More, more even sex. Even more, <laughs> even, well, not even sex, but also, no, just like the, drink, drive the point home of, of like, not being afraid to, um, just, just to, to go beyond, you know, like, the gender and the sexuality, go beyond it. I don't think it's like and a particularly, control, like it yeah, feels, yeah, but it I don't feels like it's think it's like a, it's not like a sex album. No. Uh, yeah. No, I don't. I I think it's maybe sensual and feral and feeling, and it it does like so many of us have those feelings. Every all of us are super fucking horny at some point, <laughs> but we don't necessarily put it into our art. Um, and and I'm wondering what is it about, about the power of that that yeah. that you wish to sort of harness or express through your those early that early work? Because I just thought it was such a direct thing to feel, and I, I just thought that I, so many songs. You know, well, there were there were direct songs like that, but they weren't coming at the time from women, first of all, or they were coming from um, 
you know, it's like, and then also there were these other songs. There was just always people talking about that, but it, not putting it in the music. You know, like a lot of times, because you've interviewed so many musicians, I feel like the conversations are more, maybe more about where they're really at. And then the song doesn't really have that much, you know, it has love and emotion and stuff like that, but just not this direct, like, they would say them things that they were afraid to say in the songs they could say in interviews, you know what I mean? Kind of things. Does that make sense? I, I felt like that. So it was more like, why don't people just say it in the song, <laughs> you know? Yeah, in, the, in, in Fancy Pants, Hoodlum, you did uh, High School Confidential. Yeah. And so that, you know, Carol Pope is somebody who was, you know, unapologetically went there. Well, I, I mean, when that song came out, I mean, I was young and listening to it on the radio, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, that is a song that was directly related to and And it was a top 40 hit. And I remember because it was like, um, in the song, it's like, she makes me cream in my jeans when she comes my way. And that whole sentence was, on, I was like, what? And then years later, they realized that you have to censor on the radio. So like now, if you hear it on the radio, or even like five years after that, it's like, she makes me in my jeans. <laughs> and and it's, 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 it's funny, that's time they didn't even realize, they, it was so, they just thought of it as a good song and they put it on, you know, and then later they're like, oh, we have to like, you know. The idea that people uh, um, don't talk about it or don't sing about it, these feelings, or even in an interview, don't talk about it, you know, but and yet it's called rock and roll. It's a euphemism. Yeah, rock and roll, like uh, having sex in a car. That's mm -hmm. what, yeah. Um, so when you decided to express aspects of what you were feeling and it sort of manifested itself in your songs, was there ever, did you ever feel shy about it or just were you completely um, embraced this? I was just embracing it, yeah. I was embracing it and then it became something, uh, it, w it became something more than about sex. It just became about like communities feeling, uh, feeling empowered or just people feeling like, yeah, you know, but just more, not just about sex, but just feeling comfortable in your own body. And I feel like at this point, if somebody asked me the, the quintessential sentence of what I do, mm -hmm. and I would say, you need to feel comfortable in your own body. And that's like a lifelong goal, but that's all I want people to feel. We're going to take a look at some early clips. Um, in the in the late '90s, we're seeing the rise of peaches, and we're seeing this more of this kind of um, sexual exploration. We're going to take a look at um, your video for Lover Tits, and um, and here we have um, you awesomely dancing to your mirror reflection, singing to yourself. Two women on bicycles ride down the street. One being Leslie Feist, actually. Yes. The woman on the left, Feist. Um, their bicycle ride turns into an erotic encounter with bicycles. <laughs> Do you know it's funny? There's like a, like, uh, bike porn festivals, film festivals, and this is shown at... at <laughs> yeah, in New York. I, I think it's like all over the states they have them, yeah. Yeah. To like support riding your bike. That's like the third police literally. man, Flann O'Brien, where the whole city, the townsfolk totally become, you know, one with their bicycles, have re deep relationships with their bikes. 
So there you have Feist, like we have never seen her before. And then um, we fast forwarded and a little, we're around the same era. You're with Gonzalez. And um, this is. Uh, I just think these are funny, like, because with that, yeah. um, the two women in the video did not know each other. I just, I, I was, and also, I think I met a friend on the street, Matt, who had these amazing bikes. And I'm like, bikes, friends, let's just do this. <laughs> and it was actually. You got the person to, like, shoot from a roof, it looks like. Yeah, down. my friend Malcolm Fraser, because we had, like, a Super 8 collective. But even before that, that was the first Super 8 um, I made for Splice This yes. because they had asked me to, you know, they had these nights where they had like musicians playing along to Super 8s and I didn't have any Super 8s. So, um, yeah, made that specifically for Splice This. Genius. You're like, two <laughs> strangers, get on the bike, yeah. you up on the roof, take the Super 8, yeah. let's go. Yeah. And did they just go, okay. Yeah, and I was like, just be more into the bikes than each other. <laughs> and this, I had just moved into this apartment. Okay, so we're playing here now. Uh, maybe can I preface? Yeah, yeah, please do. So the night before, you know, we were out in a club. It's Berlin, blah, blah, blah. And um, there were these two, and, and we decided we were going to shoot a video for the song, um, Red Leather. And um, we had no idea what to do, but we had a friend who, you know, could shoot it on video. And I had an empty apartment, and um, we were out of the club, and then I saw these two, like, red um, light boxes, and they were, like, Smirnoff light boxes, like, for an advertisement. And I was like, can we borrow those tomorrow for a video and have them as a set? And they're like, yeah, sure. So, so also, I want to mention that we are... Our feet are being so quiet because my neighbor hated me so much and came up every five minutes was like, it's too loud, I can hear you. So, so you're so dancing we're in socks? Dancing tippy toe. <laughs> okay, let's take a look at a little bit of this red leather business in your apartment. Look at the two of you busting those moves. If you would ever see Gonzales doing those. <laughs> and good use of Christmas lights. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in, in both of them, very playful. You know, mm -hmm. huge aspects of playing. And also uh, spontaneity. Also like, oh, we have this. Let's use this. and Let's you know. ask for this. Can we borrow or, your Smirnoff lights? Yeah, or... Just they're there. We would have made the video anyway. Just things always come up, you know. That's amazing. That was yeah. I was like, oh, it's shot in a fancy studio. Was your apartment? It was very small. So, what do you think um, the the sort of um, exploration in music and kind of being able to cut loose, be a big goofball? You guys aren't being super like, hey, come on over here. You're like pretty <laughs> silly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think you got from this? What What did it open up? How did you change from this? What happened? What What did it enable you to feel? I mean, I had a lot of, it just enabled me to be more silly and just like understand that um, I can communicate this way and uh, enjoy myself and also make, because I never felt comfortable in the 90s when everybody was just like, 
like earnest, heavy feelings. To, to sound. Yeah, I really didn't fit into that, so I was always yeah. Yeah. But um, you know, but you know, I'm I'm still a monster and deep inside, so it's not. We're not going away from the um, reason why I was invited here for the talk. Yeah. But no, I just didn't feel it. I was always like, why aren't people like, you know, expressing? I just, I just, I wanted more. Uh, I wanted more show. I wanted drama, but I didn't want it to be like show, you know. But I wanted like, it to I'm be. I'm so depressed. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Gonzalez um, left Toronto for Europe, and then yeah. you ended up getting signed to a an indie, a small indie studio yeah. in Berlin. There are two significant events that led you on your path, and that was you left your marriage and you left Toronto. And h how did you know you had to do that? It's just, uh, it's again, very difficult things that happen that you know that it's not right inside. So I never thought I would leave Toronto. I didn't, I didn't even, you know, I wasn't like, I'm going to move to Berlin just like, you know, cabaret. I was like, none, you know, like, or people are always like, oh, it's because of Nina Hagen, right? Like she's, or, or there's that movie Liquid Sky, and it's, it, which is really funny because I love that movie and I saw it when it opened here. And in the movie, there's like this um, like um, sassy, like tough heroin dealer actually who plays a beatbox. And she's like, me and my rhythm box. And she has a song and she turns to her lover and was like, let's go to Berlin, baby. They're going to love me there. And it's like, when I came to Berlin, my friend, actually the one who made that video, she's like, you know the movie, you, you came here because of this, right? This is like you. And I was like, I don't even remember that from the movie. <laughs> but it was just, it's just funny, all these like triggers that, that should lead me to Berlin anyway, but uh, it wasn't even, I just visited a few places and realized that Berlin seemed creative by experience, yeah. Well, I mean, so far we've touched on, okay, so, First girlfriend, Andy, you're like, love her, okay, must leave home, I'm going to leave home. Yeah. And then marriage, I'm in love with this person, marriage is pretty serious yeah. business, but I must I think, leave this I think it more, also more happened, like I had thyroid cancer. And it never affected me like uh, physically or anything, but, you know, the, the threat of like having cancer at 30, where you're just like, like there's a big goiter sticking out of my neck. And then... Um, I remember, you know, they told me that if it's cancer, we're going to take out both of your um, thyroids, thy thyroid sides, and if not, you know, half. And um, it was, so it never really affected me, but I think that psychologically, I was like, what do I really want to do with my life? Do I want to be married, and do I want, or do I want to, like, go for music? And it was just like, I, I think I got it, you know, it was more like that, yeah. Yeah, when when you realize your mortality, it's kind of like puts things yeah. into pr pretty clear perspective. How yeah. difficult was that for you to leave Toronto? Um, leaving Toronto, it wasn't really about, you know, leaving the marriage obviously was heartbreaking for both of us and we'll always, you know, have a piece of that. But um, I didn't leave Toronto then. And I, then I started Peaches and I actually... I had to re make a whole new life for myself, you know, in the same city. So it was actually, 
I really appreciate that I didn't just leave, mm -hmm. you know? And I, and that's where I, I busted out the creativity, like, you know, I, I met a whole new group of friends and, um, you know, people like, um, inspired by uh, Kika Thorne, who was making Super 8 movies, you know, teaching women how to make their own porn and, um, uh, you know, or, or Sherry Boyle, you know, and, um, um, and Feist. And that was all, a real you know, gestation we, became, we were all, yeah, we were all just being super creative and hanging out and, and so, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I'm going to Berlin and that's it. It was a really creative time and I made the Teachers of Peaches in Toronto. I think a lot of people don't realize I made it here, you know, and it was like, yeah. So it was leaving the marriage and then finding a kind of a community of yeah. artists and making stuff. Yeah. And then having this album somehow get signed right. there. Yeah. Jason um, Gonzalez, for his trajectory, he felt a little stifled and a little bit like he had hit, hit a wall here. Yeah. And he was like, must find other options, yeah. opportunities. Yeah. And we, I mean, we traveled around together with, uh, I had my machine. This is before I made Peaches stuff, but that summer. And he had like two turntables. And we'd go into clubs and we'd go like, you can plug it into your stereo system and we can make music for the whole room. You know, like this is before computer, I know that sounds like, yeah, but <laughs> this is like before, you know, you have Spotify, whatever. It's like, it was a thing, you know, and people like, cool, yeah. And we would play instrumental music all over. Just to your car lighter. No, 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 just like... Wouldn't that be cool? No, yeah. No, no, just like in people's stereo systems, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, we'd just like plug in. And yeah, so... But we'd have light. our machines because it wasn't even like, you know, I don't know. It wasn't It wasn't computers or programs on computers. It was was it like an adventure then? Like, yeah. okay, let's yeah. go over there and see what can happen. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, and then he stayed there and I came back. Mm -hmm. um, but um, he just wanted to go to Amsterdam and smoke weed. And I was like, mm, let's go to Berlin. <laughs> Baby, they're going to love us there. <laughs> yeah. And then they did. And then we actually found this amazing, cute uh, club called uh, Berlin Tokyo, which was like artists and musicians. Wow. And um, Isn't that amazing? And then we're like, can we play here on Thursday? And they're like, yeah. And then that little label was there. And they're like, oh, we want to have you in this festival which was at the Volksbühne, which has been on the news a lot because it's been occupied, so maybe you've heard about it. What do you think it was that in Berlin people just really got and loved and celebrated in you? I don't know. <laughs> I think they were just very stiff and doing a lot of, like, you know, German music and everything. And then I was like, oh, you can actually, like, you know, ex do electronic music and, and be expressive and, like, direct and, you know... They appreciated the directness and I don't know, but it was happening also like I was a lot of like London and New York were really all of a sudden like, whoa, what is this? You know, yeah, it just I, kind of like, it, it, and it wasn't through like video or, vi you know, there was no YouTube, but there was also, I wasn't being played on um, radio or, you know, much music or MTV or anything. It must be so interesting to like be here in Toronto and there's a certain kind of community that you're aware of and a certain kind of level of success and people loving you, but many people just won't leave. And to take that extra, you know, curiosity and drive to go somewhere else and actually find that people like you yeah. in, in ways that 
are different than what you have been familiar with yeah. here? Well, here we were always, <laughs> me and Gonzalez always called this weird ones last, because we would play like these nights where you get to play a few songs and they're like, let's put the weird ones on last. And we'd always play at the end. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then there you are in Berlin and in, in, in New York and Tokyo and people are like, what the heck? Yeah. What is this? Wow. Yeah, I could imagine in Berlin if things are pretty stiff and then you're going in there and kind of like mixing things up, having fun. And a lot of people who had bands that, you know, in Berlin, they started to like ditch their bands and do like electro rock and roll, you know. And at the same time, in New York, there was this thing, electro clash, mm -hmm. which I really didn't have a clue about because I was just doing it. And then there was Chicks on Speed doing it in Munich. And then there was... La Tigre doing it in, in uh, New York, and then we were all part of this community, and, but we weren't, we had no idea we were all doing right, it. Right, it's like time. morphogenic fields, like yeah. when a moth or, you know, butterfly effect or whatever. When zeitgeist. People, people make things, and then there's this, this, this zeitgeist that happens. Zeitgeist. Um, let's talk about your theater work. Um, we're going to take a, a look at a bit of Peaches Does Herself, and um, it's an amazing, amazing work. You studied theater at university. Theater has uh, been a building block to what you do. Um, and you leave no stone unturned in the Teaches of Peaches. It's a breathtaking... Uh, uh, Peaches does herself? Peaches does herself. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Peach, in Peaches does herself, it's um, really a stunning, stunning work where so much happens here. And let's take a look at this. So much happens. <laughs> this is <laughs> that's that's Danny Daniels. Jonas, can you describe some of your collaborators here? Sure. In, so, still um, Danny Danny Daniels came up to me in London during a show and said, I lost my virginity in the back of a truck and now I, to your music, and now I shake my dick and my tits. And I was like, great, <laughs> you're amazing. <laughs> but you know, and she is. And um, two weeks later, I um, broke my ankle and um, I'm just gonna tell a story while this is going on. I, I broke my ankle and um, I had to open for Grace Jones in London, and I was like, there's no way I am not going to open for Grace Jones if I broke my ankle. Um, I am going to create a whole new show in a day where I'm going to be in a wheelchair because I have a broken ankle, but I'm going to get all these people to join in. So I had like a fake Peaches come on, and then um, I, Danny, who I'd met two weeks uh, earlier, who lived in London at the time, Here became my... Uh, naked nurse wheeling me around on stage. So, so that's, smart. How, that's how we met. So smart to take a, a, a And this something. is the song Shake Your Dicks and Shake Your Tits, but you can't hear it. Yeah, here we go. Turn it up. So this is an array of your songs. So there's a kind of autobiographical trajectory here. Yeah, it's a, yeah. I mean, you want me to talk more? Okay, yeah. just the, the movie starts with more like Everybody. how I started and then it goes out of control and I get taken away and 
given what the what the people want me to be having everything except for balls somehow I didn't get that memo when I'm watching this I'm seeing um, I'm feeling a, a divine the spirit of divine oh definitely the, the, the makeup is very divine um, chaplain you have a kind of oh, chaplain quality there, there's a chaplain moment later and also um, yeah because I also grew up with a lot of musicals. We went to a lot of musicals, which I loved, but they were very, of course, heteronormative. And so I, I do a scene in this with a park bench, kind of like mm -hmm. walking in the park, you know, like a Busby Berkeley, but with uh, Danny and I. Yeah. It's a very innocent kind of like old school Hollywood moment. I think we went a little there's early, a, but... I'm, there's a whiff of uh, Nita Hagen. So there's so many different things happening, and it's spectacular. It's it's um, a really fantastic performance. And what I'm... It, yeah, we, we didn't mean it to be a film, either. This is another uh, one of those spontaneous things. But um, we just documented it, and... Um, we did two runs, and uh, the first run was Five Nights, and uh, Robin Thompson, who filmed it, I looked at the footage, and I was like, it's, it's really good. We just need to hone in on some more close-ups and blah, 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 blah. So the next run, we, we honed in on that, and then we had a movie. I mean, it has 1,500 edits in it and color correction for days, but um, we were pretty lucky to be able to make a movie out of it. I changed the ending, because the ending in the, in the play was just everybody get on stage and sing Fuck the Pain Away. My parents also sang it. But we changed the ending, so it, it became more of a film and more of a, yeah. I don't want to ruin the ending, but. What is it about the grotesque and the comic, the transgressive kind of low arts that you embrace as opposed to high art that you love here? the best part. Should we keep playing it? Well, yeah, this, it's, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the good part. Oh. But somehow this part <laughs> isn't, seems like someone's played this part too many times. <laughs> I just won't play anymore. Everyone's like, hush. All right, anyway. <laughs> there's a lot of... We found love, and it, there's a real romantic moment, which is nice. Anyway. So there's love, there's tragedy. There's love and tragedy. <laughs> so this idea that you are in your theater work... Yeah, you know, when I went to, I went to um, York University. Anybody else go to York University? Anybody in the theater program, York University? Right. Um, so when I went there, they started a director's program, which is what I want to do because I don't know, did anybody ever go to um, A.Y. Jackson High School? You did? And they had a, an incredible theater program, actually. At the time, they used to have this um, three semesters, you know, because now you don't, right? It's just two semesters. And the third semester, anybody who took um, theater 
they would just put them in groups like um, the grade 11s, grade 12s, and grade 13s. I don't even think we have grade 13 anymore. I don't know. But um, grade 11, grade 12, and 13. So the grade 11s would be put in groups of actors and the producers, grade 12, and the directors, grade 13. So already you were doing like this independent theater work, and it was like black box theater. It wasn't like musicals and stuff like that. So And, I, and somehow I just connected. I, I, there was some, you know... There was definitely arts in me. I don't know. Uh, I didn't know what it was, if it was theater or music or, or what it was, you know. So then after that, I just wanted to be a theater director because that's what you do when you're in uh, the last grade. You know, you're like director. So then I um, went to York University, and there was uh, they just had started a theater program, and they picked seven people in the director program. I got in, and I wanted to make cool musicals. And everybody was just like, that is not what you do in theater school. You do not make cool musicals. You, like, recontextualize Ibsen and, you know, Beckett and, you know, all this stuff. Which I loved all that, but I wanted to make cool musicals, you know, because I... Um, so I, I did not continue in the program. I dropped out, and I got way more education just taking different arts programs um, and... Uh, Having fights with a lot of teachers too, mm -hmm. uh, but um, you know, uh, with with a lot, like they were all mixed media classes and um, things like that. And but but it was a great that was a much better education. And then I uh, decided I don't want to really do theater. I don't want to have a heart attack and work with institutions and actors and blah blah blah. And then um, music, I kind of fell into music with the folk singing, and then I built it up. And then. Um, Peaches happened, and I did Peaches for 10 years, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, a, a theater asked me to do a production. And it was like, I'm going to make my cool musical. Finally. And I'm going to use all the research that I've done, which is me, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say fuck you to jukebox musicals that don't use the artist in their work at all. You know, they do like, they, they're starting to do it now, but, you know, like, um, you know, like Mamma Mia, what does that have to do with ABBA and all their, you know, relationships of why they wrote the songs or anything, so. You know, that notion of divine or John Waters, you're embracing B elements, you're embracing spectacle, grotesquerie, humor, all sorts of stuff. Why the low art forms that you get excited by rather than the Gibson or like the Beckett or the Shakespeare? Because I don't, I don't uh, instinctively relate to it. I can, you know, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm, I'm not, I, I want to feel it. I want to have a gut. That's what theater, to me, it's theater. It's something, you know, you want to connect with people. So, um, and also the, I, that was the problem with me with theater. I never found that it was like the immediate connection that music had. Music, you just start playing and it's all like, it can become one thing. Theater, there's always like a step behind. What goes through your mind when you're at the center of the eye of the storm, when you're sort of the Dionysian presence sort of, um, you know, catapulting this, this catharsis, a mass catharsis within yourself, your co-performers and the audience? What goes through your mind when you're all sort of, um, you know, as we see, sort of heightened at that state? Just... I think to me, and it also happens on stage when I play, that it's like, if I hold back, it's, it's, it's way harder to hold back. I need to give, like, 500%. I need to give it all. 
that's also maybe why I didn't like the nine because it was just like, oh, I, I want to do more or something, you know. I just need to feel it, be it, do it, you know. Are you watching people like do, or is, are you just sort of taken over by an energy? It's kind of an energy. It's an energy thing, and it's 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 funny. It's like a a shamanistic thing. It's kind of like. I want it to be all of us feeling, you know, like I don't feel like everybody has to express themselves the way I do, but this is my way and I want you to feel okay, understand that this is my way, but also feel okay about your own way by watching somebody do their own way. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like a giving over. Am I not making let's sense, see, Melanie? <laughs> let's see what we can do. And your parents have been part, part of the audience as well. Yeah. We, uh, I was telling this story because um, I played at Massey Hall, which was like huge, amazing honor. But the one thing that I always do is walk on people with, with uh, you know, like I walk on people's hands and you can't do that at Massey Hall because everybody's sitting down. And usually, I, I, as you see, I like to draw attention to my parents and I love them very much. And um, when I played in London, I had them in the Queen's seats and I had a spotlight on them in the middle of, I was like, you want to meet my parents? And then all the spotlight came on, they didn't know, and then they said, there they are. <laughs> but um, uh, this time at Massey Hall, I, instead of walking on people, I walked on the arms of the chairs all the way to, to my parents. I'm like, there's my parents. And I could see my dad kind of getting choked up. And then I, I'm going to get choked up now. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to cry too. This is not, Beatrice, this is not working. You're, so I you're had getting to like, choked up again. You're yeah, I am. You can see, you can see they made, they made a, um, the video of it and you can see like, I'm just like, turn away. And then like I had to, you know, sing to someone else. You Your know? pops was crying. Yeah. And you were crying. Yeah. And your pops was, uh, he was, <laughs> your pops was, uh, sorry, I'm talking about you in a third person. You were a, prof uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie. You were like a really good baseball player too. You were almost like in the, almost a pro, pro player. Yeah, he got, he got, um, uh, what was that? I got signed by the Cleveland Indians in 1956 and I played in the minor leagues. And when I knew how much the Americans and all the Dominicans. I said, I ain't doing this because I can't do it the best. I'm the best in Canada, but not down there. And my, my mom happened to pass away and my father was left alone. And so I came back and I had four or five professions that I quit just because I didn't feel it. And that's where I think there's a lot of feeling. You have to feel yeah, it in but, order. You know, and I think, and I know that, you know, I, we always call my dad and people who know him, they call him the contented man. Because he, he was never like, I should have kept with the baseball. You know, he knew that that, you know, he was good, but that was, it was more important for him to uh, be with his father. And he married my mom. They've been together since my mom was 14 and my dad was 17. Well, there's also this physicality. Well, not, that it's legal, uh, everything. <laughs> my mom was like, <laughs> and my dad turned to 80 they were this children. year. They were child groom and pride. Um, but also to be like a pro ball player requires tremendous physicality. To be a rock star require, requires a lot of physicality. So. I feel like a, a wrestler a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So, um, but that's interesting too. That, that uh, your whip, you in your live performance is sort of whipped into a frenzy. Um, there's an element of sexual eroticism throughout this, but there's also a kind of like wish for communion. It sounds like you yeah. just want everybody to be feeling something. Yeah, and also the danger, like also you know that that like Iggy Pop feeling, and you know that rock and roll feeling that because we know rock and roll is dead, but not, you know, as like guitar and drums and stuff like that, but that feeling, it's like, it's very important. It's just community. It's like getting together. It's why you play live shows. Is it's it, like, does it have anything to do with spirit, spirituality? I haven't really gone. I don't know. I mean, I say shamanism, so there is some spirituality, but I, yeah, I, definitely. Yeah. Probably not under any kind of religious term, but no, there is I, I, some seeking for yeah, exactly. soul connection. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So what is it like to spend those kinds of heightened times on stage in your work as, as Peaches, where it's sort of, um, you know, uh, creating, manifesting a highly erotically charged soul connection, um, feeling. Um, how does that affect you as Meryl in, in your personal life? <laughs> I sleep a lot. <laughs> no, but it's really like, it is very heightened and things like, you know, and, and as I get older, it really is, it, it, I, I, it's not like I, I have made, I've probably made the show even more physical, but... Um, it just, I just really enjoy doing nothing for a few days too, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's really, I, I want to always have that balance. I just can't really keep, you know. So Meryl then is the opposite of that Peach's persona, day to day. It's always a good, this is, this is, this, you know, the Meryl Peach's question comes up a lot and mm -hmm. I'm still, you know, where does one end when it it's begins? It's so true. And, I mean, it's not it's like, like you're this quiet, retiring person. No. You're, 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 right. you're, you're yeah. present, you're yeah. honest, you're, you speak your mind. Yeah. But it's not like you're, you're a I'm good not, listener. I'm not, I'm not like on your shoulders no. and like answering you or jumping around. Or well, it's interesting. I met Diamanda <laughs> Gallus uh, one time and, you know, she's incredibly, incredible performer and staggering and scary and, and amazing. And then I knocked on her, um, you know, her door after to say, oh, you know, I'm, I love the show. And there she was so sweet. Like, so Thank sweet. You so very much. Always remembers my it's name. Kind of like always like, yeah, she's so sweet. The balance there of like the performer person and then the, per the person behind. Yeah. And I told you that story, how she, she changed my perspective when I saw her in a panel in like the 90s on um, musicians and AIDS and it was all like it was actually straight rock and rollers and Diamanda Glass on the panel and everybody was just talking and talking and it, 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 there was not real a good conversation and Diamanda just jumped up on the table and said if any guy's got a condom here right now you can fuck me because I only fuck with a condom and it was like Everyone's Amazing. alert. It's like, yeah, you want to give the point, you want to like be direct, and you want people to know how important it is. And nobody, everyone else was just like talking, talking. And so I remember this really sweet man pulled out a condom and walked through the aisle like, and she's like, well, you can fuck me here now. And he was just like, I just want to show you that I use condoms. Yeah.
And then she, yeah, but, and of course, she, you know, she, her brother died of AIDS, and she is like a, and she, she just wants to drive the point home, and a, to me, that was just like, I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life, I'm going to tell that story 25 years later, um, I'm not going to remember what anybody else said, or, you know, it was important. Peaches does yourself, um, you are on stage with a cock and breasts, masculine and feminine and other. Um, and I don't want to give away the ending, but um, things kind of blow up by the end. Um, and I'm wondering why, why does everything blow up? Because it, it, it's more like a, in a way, it's like a, a metaphor of also like just, um, in the movie, sort of fan, it, I don't know, it, people don't get it, but I'll, I'll explain to you. <laughs> but um, fans, I get taken away by fans and I get operated on and I come out with everything, like I mentioned. So it's sort of like being pushed into this. So it's sort of a metaphor for that and like it blows up and then literally blows up and then you you know, find your place. Whatever it is, it's a it's a beautiful ending, and it's Thank very you. you you break it down to a very and the bike, that's right, a very simple, 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 um, unadorned ending. After all that spectacle, you bring it down to something that's very, very real. Um, I'd like to talk about some of your peers and collaborators. Um, okay, so Gonzalez, Jason Beck, he's been by your side through the early years, um, th through now, helping you on your records as well as um, performing. Yeah, I was very careful. He only helped me on my uh, um, I Feel Cream. We never collaborated on one of my records before because... Oh, really? Yeah, see, oh, because, wow. because of that. Ah. Because people were like, um, you know, I had a really hard time at the beginning in France because he already had some um, popularity and mm -hmm. people were like, your Gonzalez is chanteuse. He produced your album. I'm like, I produced my album. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing he did on that album, you know, so. Right, but yeah. you have been collaborators but also what on was films and in music. Yeah, and, and at the beginning it was really exciting when he was making his first album as Gonzalez and me as Peaches, we talk a lot, but we weren't even, you know, talk on the phone, like on the landline. Um, and we, because we weren't even in the same city, but these exciting moments of like expressing ourselves on stage and things like that. Um, he was in Peaches Cry Superstar playing piano with you. Yeah, I'm still doing that. He's not, I, but I, I am. I saw that, <laughs> I know, I keep seeing um, reviews coming up. Yeah. I mean, you, you did that in 2010 and you're still touring that. Um, it just it, a lot of like uh, theater festivals and arts festivals want to book it. So whenever I have time with my new piano player, we do it. So what is it that uh, what is it about Jason that you continually bring him into your work over the years, um, either in films, helping him on his films, or bringing him up on stage in Peaches Christ Superstar, or having him produce some stuff, some tracks on your albums? What is it about him? and you that get along? Um, he, as he would call himself, is a musical genius, you know? And I am like a musical savant in a way. Like I'm just really like, if it has too many notes, forget it. 
It's yeah. like this joke with Maki, we keep trying to collaborate. He's like, every time I use more than four notes, she's like, I don't know, I don't like it. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, but he, he's got this inc incredible intuitive quality that we really connect on. So we could probably write three songs a day together, you know. So you're, you, the two of you have very different styles. Then. Very different styles, but we, but uh, but there is a part parts of us that really connect that could yeah. Well, you both seem very adventurous and multifarious and very funny. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> what about Margaret Cho? I mean, she swings she's her funny. She's she swings her knitted penis yeah. in Dick in the Air. She's also in I Mean Something. What's your favorite thing about working with Margaret Cho? It, it was again really spontaneous because um, she was the first one. You know. I've been a fan of her stuff. She'd come to my shows, and then when I made my new album, I, I sent it to her, and I said, I want you to collaborate on a video with me. What song do you want? And she said, Dick in the Air. So that turned out to be fantastic, because then I, uh, a friend of mine had these knitted outfits that were, like, totally inappropriate, like... The yellow one for Asian people and the pink one for Caucasian people. And the Asian has the largest dick and the, you know, the, the brown suit with the very small peanut, you know, like just, and then it was great because then we could, you know, make fun of these and, and enjoy ourselves. And then just go run around LA and, and be goofballs. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that the humor helps the medicine go down? That is, a, that is a huge part of it because, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of really angry women feminist work, you know, like that angry women um, yeah. research book. Yeah. But I, I always felt like people were going like, oh, no. But I think if you give a little humor, then you're going to draw people in more. You can still get them yeah. once they're drawn in. Yeah. So then we go to Yoko Ono. You have remixed her songs, you've sung her songs, um, you recreated her cut piece in 2002, she asked you to... Oh, you yeah, to 2013. Oh, 2013. So, this is very different. Yeah, she asked me to recreate, to me, her most important work that was made over 50 years ago and still is relevant, which is how Yoko rolls. She just does these really quiet, amazing pieces that last 50 years and are still relevant. How long are you sitting there? For 90 minutes. 90 minutes. 90 and people minutes. are coming up and taking a pair of scissors and cutting various pieces of your garment off. Yeah, and they're cutting my hair and they're stealing my shoes and they're also drawing on me or they're like talking to me. And there's Yoko. Yeah. Now, in recreating her piece, um, what did... What do you think you learned? How terrifying it is to um, stay still and try and embody all the feelings of an audience without reacting to it. You know what I mean? Like it was the most terrifying thing I'd ever done and I, I'm not saying anything. I notice your eyes are down. Um, what do you mean now? No, no, in the piece. Oh, I was also, yeah, it's just... Uh, so are I, you I feeling kind of terror here? You look so sublime and so peaceful. Um, I was freezing at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I was cold and was holding cold. that. This is not a fun position to hold for a long time. No, was and, that and, painful? And, then, and there's Yoko <laughs> by your side and you're naked and she's putting a ring on your finger. And 
telling you you've done an amazing job. And I cried there too. I was just like, what is going, what is my life? But, um, you know, it was really like people, it was amazing the uh, reaction of people in the audience, like creepy people coming up and doing like little creepy things, like the way they were cutting and other people going like, ah, oh, misogynist, get away from her. Or like, like different groups of people having different, reactions and yelling things out and I was doing nothing. That it was, was challenging. Yeah, but it was also amazing to f to have the, all their reactions and all their you know feelings about me and I wasn't even doing anything. <laughs> Is it kind of liberating not to react to people? Is it what? Liberating? It was it was liberating yeah. because I'm so used to like being so Reactive in your face. And and yeah, yeah. So you had said earlier that much of your work can be distilled down to the notion that you wish for everybody to be comfortable in their skin. Why is that still an important aim, specifically right now, where we are in 2017? We're so far away from that. Like, for so many reasons, we can get into, um, you know, Social media bring you away from it. Um, politics, you know, that you can go on and on. There's so many, so many things. You started with that aim, and 17 yeah. years later, you know, through all this kind of um, social changes and upheavals, like now, I feel it's it's interesting. Like you've just stuck to your 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 principles, your curiosity, your aim, and it sort of always re remained relevant. And it seems even more relevant than today and more challenging, it seems. It's funny because when my album came out two years ago, it was before, it was pre-Trump. Pre and everyone's like, well, do you still think you're, yeah, like it's amazing, do you still think your stuff is like, you know, it's relevant, but it's not really, it's just like there, it's just like normal now, it's, you know. Right, because a lot of the ideas you were putting forward has become mainstream. Yeah, and, and, um, and I was like, don't be fooled by the, you know. And then uh, when Trump got elected and, you know, sh shit hit the fan, um, more and more people were, were um, saying, like, your stuff is more relevant than ever. You know, it's amazing in those two years how it changed. Even harder to be yourself today when there are so many forces yeah. influencing, shaking you off who you are, or uh, even like, I don't even know if there's a finite sense of self. Yeah. But is it the... We gotta keep trying. <laughs> just to be... It's, it's really the most important thing you can do for yourself and for others. And I mean, there's a whole, I mean... Why do you think this was such an, an important thing for, me, for you to encourage? To encourage other people? Yeah, to be themselves or to feel comfortable being in themselves. Because that, that, I just feel like that should be, <laughs> I feel like that should be the goal of yourself. You're in your own body, that's you. You need to feel comfortable, not get away from it, not, um, you know, hide behind uh, fear or power struggles or greed or, you know. Did you feel acutely points in your life where you felt like you weren't yourself and you struggled to be more of yourself? Well, sure, or I didn't know myself, mm -hmm. yeah. For a person who has pushed boundaries, um, not conformed, endeavored to be who you are or be embodied in who you are, is there anything that you find 
repugnant that you have to draw a line that you do find offensive? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Look at the state of the world. What are, what's what's something offensive. that kind of drives you crazy or that you find offensive for somebody who has been able to push buttons and... Well, that's more, it's more political things. I just don't understand how... Uh, it's just, um, you know, who... <sighs> I find it offensive when people are not tolerant towards other. I find it offensive that, uh, you know, solution can't be found. You know, like, I, I can't... I don't want to say lofty, you know, but it's it's a hippie thing, really. It's just yeah. I just I find it offensive when when people just can't get to the heart of themselves, so they use everything in their power possible to make it more difficult for every everybody around them, so that they can con continue to be in their you know comfort zone that is not helping them at all. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with um, being yourself, then. Yeah, all of it. Okay, we're going to open it up to questions from the audience. Um, Kathleen has a microphone, and um, and also we have two microphones that are volleying around. Does anybody have any questions? Melanie Melody. Do you remember? I mean, I've known you forever. I don't know you. <laughs> and uh, and I've always been a super fan and and you've always been great um but do you remember yeah. back in the day when you were teaching zach guitar and is this your son he, yeah and then he became a dj spider brown and he was playing uh vinyl for you at the triple x diner yeah with your beatbox and you could not get arrested in toronto <laughs> did you not find it incredibly frustrating being in the city, like I find Toronto is a very normal city, so you had to leave, right? Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I didn't feel like I'm so weird, I have to, you know, like, leave. I don't know. It just wasn't, yeah, it was just kind of, I know what you mean by the arrested you, thing, it just wasn't like... Challenging? Yeah, just, but it wasn't like it was getting... Um, it wasn't like so many people were interested either. Mm -hmm. But that's the, the thing. It was like you could do it, but it was just like mm. yeah, people are like, huh? Well, yeah. you know, Moses Narmer once said to me, he was so successful in Canada, and he kind of bemoans that fact because he says if he was not as successful in Canada, it would have pushed him to go elsewhere, and he kind of wishes he had. But it's so amazing what he did. He did, yeah, in, in for Canada, sure. like start that. That is such a visionary. Like that's what TV is now with those series and sex TV and and fashion TV and Speaker's Corner. That, like, that's an amazing concept. That's really... Yeah, we're lucky we saw that. Yeah. Okay, anybody else? Yeah, this is kind of a random question. Is it true that Madonna <laughs> wanted to collab with you, but you were like, nah? <laughs> oh. And why? And why? Why not? Like, I don't know. She needed you. So I'm just interested. If it's true. What is true is that her guitar player came to my show and said, Madonna really likes your music. Can you sign some underwear for her? And f so I did that. That's weird. I, I, I mean, I, I was selling underwear. Fuck the paint away underwear. So. But um, no, I think um, she asked me to do a remix. And it was, what album was it? It was just, the song was bad. 
I mean, she's amazing, but I, and I just, I couldn't see myself making it better. That's all, but. Oh, well, I think Taylor Swift just kind of did that to herself, didn't she? So you have Madonna wanting to you to remix something and you reserve the right to say no. That's an important thing to do. No, because, it, yeah, yeah. Um, I have a question. Uh, as an internationally established artist, um, what's your experience with the CBC? Um, I discovered you as I was overseas, and um, I feel that, for example, Triple J, uh, who you've worked Australia. with. Australia. Yeah, Australian. Uh, very similar. The ABC is the Australian Broadcasting Commission, and your experience with the CBC, do you feel they do enough uh, complaints, suggestions, or... Like, what would you change and are you happy with it? <laughs> this is so Canadian. Um, <laughs> Jesus, how would you transform the CBC? But I, I really, I, I, I can't say that I, I really know much about what's going on in the CBC. I just know that there's this awesome podcast called Sleepover. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, I, I'm sorry that I can't, Actually, I'm not really be, so connected It'd be pretty sweet CBC. if there was a bit more Peaches vibe on CBC. More sex, you know, and... You th Thoughts uh -huh. around that? I, I find what, what, generally in media is very like asexual. What the, the show that I what was that late night CBC show? Was it jazz? No, Something it was amazing. Jazz. Was it CBC? Oh, oh Brave, Brave New Waves. Waves. Brave yeah, New Waves. That was amazing. Yeah. God, that was I amazing. Love that. that was. Yeah. I got played on that. I got played on Brave New Waves, and that, and I was interviewed in um, Brave New Waves. So that's all I wanted out of CBC. Um, I have a question. You both have been so instrumental in female sexuality and transgressive art, and you did speak a little bit about the current political climate, and I wonder from both of you what you feel like you want to see or what you could impart on people like us right now and what you want to see from art in what the current political climate looks like and being the sort of influential women that you are. I don't want people to just... I, to me, people ask, like, is, uh, should art be political? Yes, always. But I hate when people say no. And I just feel like people need, you know, to stand up and make shit and make it mean something to you and uh, make it what you really want and not try and fit in, you know, to whatever stupid trend is like fading into the background of it. And there's definitely art out there like that, but, and arts, it's, that's a whole other topic. There's a, there's a lot of, it's a weird time for art also. I'll say that. I think this is neat. Like when groups of people come together and talk to each other. Um, I think what Peaches does is extraordinary, bringing groups of friends and peers and like-minded people and making a big shindig happen. Um, I do think there's a lot of identity issues, a lot of weird things happening. So many strange things through social media, disconnections. Um, uh, we're under a lot of influences, a lot of misinformation, a lot of war between people, a lot of allies against allies. And I wish for people that's, to come that's together. That's a shame. It's really uh, allies against allies is a shame. It's a tech, te technology, all sorts of things. Like this is a. I, I hope w these things can continue where we see one another and be with one another and hear one another and actually instead of like, no, 
I don't like that. No, you're wrong. You know, actually hear one another. And you can be, you can, you can, you can challenge one another, but stick with one another and, and find, find, instead of deleting people. I don't know. Um, Sleepover. <laughs> and it's curious too, like um, we were talking about RuPaul. RuPaul loving the word tranny. Some, some, somebody like Justin Bond, you know, from Short Bus. That's, they're of a generation where the word tranny is a badge of honor, something very lovable. But for younger generations, that's like a very incendiary word, you know. So these words, definitions, and so forth, like um, there are so many things that can make us go like this. And so where can we create the this? And generations, too, that don't understand, like even my generation or younger generation, or I'm saying, you know, there's, there needs to be new language that we all can get with and not just throw that language in a comment on Facebook and then block that person because they didn't use that word that they were supposed to use, you know? It's just... Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more question. Oh, but no. Well, just for tonight, but later in life, <laughs> lots of questions. But for now, there's one over there. Okay. Hey, guys. How's it going? Um, Peaches, I know you've worked with Sherry Boyle and uh, other artists as well, like the one we saw with Yoko. Um, is there an artist that, like a visual art, you also work with a lot of designers that with the costumes and with the performances. So is there a, if I can differentiate art and design, is there an artist that you'd wish to work with in the future, a visual artist? Uh, yeah, there's lots of them. Um, I'm thinking, I don't know her name, but particularly that Japanese artist who made the kayak vagina <laughs> and got in a lot of trouble. She seems amazing. <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking? Does anybody know who she is? What's that? You have a book? You have a, a kayak? But oh, she yeah, got arrested she's for a, that. She's the woman who was in jail in Japan? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole incarnation. Like, what's going to happen in the future now? We're, we're just, we were talk, just talking in upstairs about, like, in three years, maybe a retrospective or a fantastic art show or some sort of exhibition. Yeah, I'm going to have my, um, like, Peach's 20-year anniversary. And, I, and I'm, well, I like to call it a collector of my own things. Other people call it hoarding. But um, <laughs> so I wanted, I have all this stuff. And uh, I would like to make some sort of, like, exhibition or you know, uh, like performance, lecture, you know, so something that means something to me, but the, you know, in, in the context of an exhibition, but not, here are my costumes, you know, here, I have to find a way to like make it alive and interesting and... There's so many, and, so many yeah. great conceptual ideas woven into your work and your theater work and your music that I feel almost like there's so many different new, new avenues of which you can create and, you know, create in the context of a sort of art world would be interesting to see. Yes. Yeah. So watch for that. Um, Coming to the AGOs. <laughs> we have to wrap it up. Sorry, darn. Sikin and Peaches, thank you both for tonight. It was incredible to have you both here. A very good start to Peaches Week. I hope I see all of you and all of your friends on Thursday for Peaches in Walker Court. Just really one level up. 
So thank you both again. It's been fantastic. And thank, you. thank all of you for coming. Have a great night. <laughs>